Welcome everybody uh, to the vast audience of Inside Swoop to episode 11 of the Collingwood podcast. Uh, uh, my name is Stephen Riley and my partner in pod crime is Marcus Wagner. Welcome Wags. Thanks for having me again, S. Yes. It's good to be back. Back in our nice little nook here at the uh, Novotel Twin Waters. Yes, yes. And uh, we're recording this, uh, this edition, this episode, uh, on the Saturday before we play Port Adelaide, uh, on the Monday night at the Gabba, which is the final round of the home and away season. Um, it looks as if there'll be a little bit on that game one way or another for us and perhaps for some others. Uh, but the day to date has been... Um, has been um, marked by the decision of Steel Side Bottom to uh, Ahini's partner, Alicia, who had their first child, a daughter, Matilda, last Saturday. Uh, they've made the call to remain in Melbourne, uh, which we announced a short time ago. Um, Wags, I think Steel and Alicia were open to the possibility of coming. In fact, they, they were. Um, but uh, unfortunately, and it's no one's fault, the, the, the various quarantine requirements and, and logistical complexities and the uncertainty around finals. We don't know week one at this stage when we would be playing. Would we be playing Thursday or Friday or Saturday afternoon or Saturday night? We could be playing in Brisbane or Perth. Um, meant that there was too much uncertainty and certainly... Um, uh, it made made the decision for Steele and Alicia reasonably easy, I think, not to come. You've got a four-day or five-day old baby, and your first. Um, there's enough uncertainty in that in that environment anyway, uh, and um, so uh, Steele will not be with us. Uh, well, he'll be with us in spirit, but he won't be on the wing uh, in our first final, which is uh, all for the rest of the campaign. So uh, a little bit of disappointment in that, I suppose, but. Yeah. Um, I, th- I don't. I think it's the right call, and um, and, and I think it, it was really you know the club left it entirely up to them. They had to be comfortable every step of the way, and and unfortunately there are a couple of things that uh, that didn't make it easy. So um, provides a bit of opportunity for someone else, as always, which is what we've been kind of planning for. It was it was always a long shot to get Sidey back, and when you look at him with his beautiful little daughter, he's beaming. You don't want to put any undue pressure on on a young family and. At least now it's probably a weight off his shoulders that he can just go back to being a dad and hopefully watch watch us from afar and cheer us on. I know the boys, he's a very popular player and the boys are constantly in contact. A bit of uh, FaceTiming during meetings and a bit of banter, getting some good photos of Steelo up on the up on the screen. So the boys are missing him, but we've got we've got good depth and we will back that in to, to get the job done through October. Some of the reports back... Um... Uh, from teammates uh, that they think that uh, like like having children does for most people it uh, is a sort of profound change to your life but Steele was returning nice messages of congratulations from teammates and staff with words such as divine she is divine now for those who are close to no Steele at all uh, some and one person in particular said, "I don't think Steele has ever uttered the word divine in his life before," <laughs> and so they were they were using that was evidence to them that that in fact he suddenly he, he's smitten with his with his first daughter, and uh, hopefully it's a wonderful time for for he and Alicia. Well, I got the love heart emoji emoji, so that was a that was a nice touch. But he's uh, he's clearly a very happy dad, and we're wishing him all the best. And yeah, as I said, hopefully. Hopefully someone can step up and fill the void. Mm, yes. Now, 
uh, before we sort of, uh, we've got training tonight, should add. So, um, another uh, night session? Training a night session again in preparation for playing a night game at the Gabba on Monday night against Port Adelaide. Uh, yeah, dewy conditions. Um, uh, I, I might just move there first at that um, last Monday when we played. Um, we found a Gold Coast that was at the Gabba. Uh, at about six o'clock, we're out on the ground, Nathan Buckley and the Fox host on the night, Alistair Lynch, was or boundary rider, were, they were out on the ground commenting and, and, and how dry the ground was. Uh, subsequently, Scott Pendlebury told me that when the players came out to warm up, that the ground was quite dry and, and, and noticeably you know, firm and, and, and good to, good to um, to play on and, and move on and handle the ball on. By seven o'clock, uh, not you know, virtually an hour later, uh, the water under your feet, the dew was squelching, and um, the dew had settled in. There was no wind, which I think is, uh, I'm, I'm told, it was a factor in keeping the dew at bay. But it became a wet weather game, almost incredibly so. Um, and to that extent, that, that is one reason why we're training at night to again acclimatised to the dewy conditions, but WAGs this week, uh, the Brains Trust came up with a with a novel idea to handle the, the slippery ball. Yep, the old baby oil. You, you lent you lent the, the boys some of your own personal supply of baby oil, so that was very nice of you, S. Um, well, the thing is, we trained at night the other the other week as well, but we, we trained it was perfectly dry. So yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. that's the irony of it all. But it's. Um, I mean, it does, the games we've played here, when, when there's a bit of wind around, it does dry up the dew a little bit, it's still a little bit slippery, but last Monday night was dead still. And it was, again, and the grounds are in immaculate condition. The Gabba is absolute picture perfect. So there's no grit, there's no sand, no dirt. It's just a, it's a carpet. So as soon as the dew forms, it just sits in, sits on the, mm. sits on the grass and really just creates this, like an ice rating, ice skating rink top feel to it. But yeah, so during the, during the week, got the buckets out, Baby oil had to had to kind of kind of segregate disco from the group. Disco, our property steward, because we were dumping brand new footies in water buckets, which is it's just like the biggest no-no for him. He was he was having a coronary about that, but he's he's just had his 60th disco, so we got to kind of look after him a bit. So that wasn't really nice of us. So, but he got he got through. He's he's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll do the same again tonight with the baby oil. Just to, I mean, it's a different. You got to have a different technique when approaching the ball. Again, I mean, you see a lot of guys now going to, going to ground. Or the guys who keep their feet are tend to, tend to be the ones that are cleaner. Um, the guys who are harder at it tend to be the ones that are cleaner. So a bit of technique stuff to work on tonight, but just give the guys a bit of a feel with, with the slippery ball. Um, hopefully we get the natural dew tonight, but there is a bit of wind around. So <laughs> odds are we'll get another dry ground. And But so, you know, we'll do a bit of full ground work with the baby oil ball and see how the boys handle it. Yes, yes. Um, it, it does beg the question, which has been asked a little bit this week, uh, in part because of, as a result of our game last Monday night against Gold Coast, but beg the question about what um, the grand final may look like as a spectacle um, being played at night at the Gabba. I mean, I'm not, who knows, it might be might be a very dry ground because there might be some breeze about, but if it was to be a dewy, you know, slippery affair, it, it might be quite what we hope it is, but let's wait and see on that. Wags, before we, 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 I want to go back to a comment um, that Gil McLaughlin, the CEO of the AFL, made earlier this week um, when asked about 
whether the league is considering um, remaining with some of the changes that they've, they've introduced this year, um, such as shorter quarters and, and potentially, um, you know, we've only had the, the 17 games in the home and away season this year. Would, would the league think of sticking with that or looking at an extended season? Um, I think we both feel, but certainly you do, that, that there's um, – Gitwell, and, and sorry to, to finish that, Gill's answer was, well, no, we'll, we're, we're likely to go back to a 22-round home and away season or 22-match home and away season um, and probably go back to quarters that are certainly longer than 15. Whether they go back to 20 in timeline remains to be seen, but it, he intimated that it, it would certainly be longer. Um you think that's a bit of an opportunity lost because we're, right now we've got the, the chance to remake things, reimagine things, and you've got a view about what what we could do next year. Yeah, we, we touched on it earlier in the year when we were spoken about, I guess, some of the innovation around the AFL, but the 26-round the season, I think, has got a whole heap of merit. Um, and I'll work through the reasons why, but it fundamentally doesn't change the, I guess, the structure of the seasons. Um, so... But there's also elements of getting equity in the draw, which just doesn't happen at the moment. So, what kind of our, kind of my thoughts are, and I've kind of floated these around a little bit, and seem to resonate with the players who just want to play more and train less. I think if they had a choice, they'd, they'd play more games and train less, um, and that's I think better for everyone, better for the supporters. But with a 26 round season. What, how you get equity in the draw is you play each team three times over a two-year period. So if you play a team twice one year, they you play them once the next year. And that only spits out um, enough for, I guess, what is that? So you only get to play, yeah, so sorry, as I said, each team three times over a two-year period. But it leaves one round where you're going to have to play one team four times over that period. So you play one team twice each year, and that's perfect for your local derby. So Adelaide would play Port twice every year, West Coast, Frio. And when you come back to the Melbourne teams, there's 10, or sorry, Victorian teams, you've got 10 Victorian teams. So over that two-year span, so you, this the fixture would have a two-year life cycle. So say we'd get nominated Carlton as our rivalry for that two-year block. So we'd play them twice each year. Mm. That could be your opening round. So it's a real feature event. Um, and then you just roll into that two-year cycle where you play each team three times. Um, don't even have to think twice about the draw, then it just happens. So you play team home one year once and you play them home and away the following year, whatever it is. But it gives you absolute equity in the draw. The other part is if you take away the JLT, and the guys go hammer and tong at JLT. I mean, it's a, it's a bit controlled, but they're still full mm. full games. They're full games for staff, full games for our medical staff. It's Everyone's fully on song. So you just strip that back to just one practice game uh, at the end of Feb, open the season with a rivalry round and then roll into that um, the rest of the season. You, um, you end up looking at, say, a 26-round season. We've currently got a 23-round season, so you're only looking at three more rounds. Mm. You take away two rounds of JLT, you're basically there. So the season spans exactly the same. You take away the buy round before finals or or you keep it in and extend the season one more week into October. You're not expanding into a territory that's ridiculous. Mm. Um, the other part I think is really important, and we talk about game development and whether this is going to saturate saturate the market and supporters go, oh, that's too much footy. You could move one of your home games or you m might be incentivized to, okay, one of your home games you have to move to a developing market. So we could play a home game in Latrobe Valley or we could play a home game in Hobart or 
something like those lines, Canberra, Cairns, wherever it is, but you get to move one of your home games for the development of the game, and that leaves you with 12 home games in Victoria. So that's only one more. So all these things, you're not saturating the market, you're creating opportunity. There's far more equitable draw, and it probably gives the fans a bit more of what they want because if quarter lengths did come down, I know you touched on that, Gil touched on it returning to more normal, but at the moment, I think they'll, they will look at that between say 18 and 20 minutes. I don't think they'll go all the way back to 20 minutes because it expands the, the, I guess this, the length of the, the broadcast too long. I think they've liked this little tight package. So at the moment there's one minute between a goals and the ball being balled up at the centre. And that's way too long. We sit on the bench and go, we sit there for 15 seconds going, okay, just ball the bloody thing up. Yeah. Yeah. But we understand why that came in. So if that comes back to 45 seconds, um, say there's an average of four goals per quarter, there's um, there's a minute. A minute. Yep. So there's four minutes in the game that you get back. So you can add that straight onto your actual game time. Currently, we're operating off eight minutes a quarter time. Way too long. Again, yep. we're sitting around twiddling our thumbs out on the ground. We, again, we know why yep. that's in for this year, but that will come back to six minutes. There's another four minutes in your broadcast window. Yep. Half time's the same, 20 minutes, far too long. Uh, I know they floated it pre-season, pre, um, but that was more around the supporters being able to access amenities at the ground. So I get mm. that side of things, but I think 15 minutes is still enough. I think people still go during quarters and whatnot. If you go to get a kind of a bucket of hot chips, there's TVs everywhere, so you can still see what's going on in the game. It's, um, I think, halftime back to 15. That saves you another five minutes. Therefore, you can hit extend quarters back to 18 minutes and you're pretty much your, your span of the game to same which is a win for everyone. Yeah. The other part with the 18 minutes, if you go all the way back to 20, it becomes really hard to play on five-day breaks. Yeah. I think that's the other thing. If, with this 26-round season, you wouldn't need buys, um, but the AFLPA would have to sign off on five-day breaks instead of six-day breaks as the minimum because mm. then you could play um, on a Thursday night and then or have Thursday night footy every week. You could have Monday night footy every week if you wanted to but allow you to play, say, Saturday into a Thursday and then have a 10-day break, which fundamentally equals your buy. Because all, all the players need is two four-day breaks. And so if we, you played Thursday, gave the players Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off, and then away you went, mm-hmm. there's your buy without actually having a buy. Mm-hmm. Everyone hates buys. Supercoach yeah, super supporters hate buys. Right. And that's the big thing, Riles. Supercoach. Is it, Marcus? <laughs> but... There's, that's my. I, I really think it's a missed opportunity. I still don't think it's a done deal by the AFL. I think they're still, hopefully, exploring ways to, to reinvent the game, make it more equitable, but make it, I guess, better for supporters and develop mm. it. And hopefully, what I've said all makes sense. I think. I think I'd be fascinated. I think you know we all know that a big player in all of this is going to be the broadcast rights partners, and it's got to, it's got to work for them. Um, uh, they've got to be able to turn a dollar out of it. If they can, I would. I think that that's why listeners. The for instance, uh, the breaks were extended so they could get more ad, more ad revenue into the breaks in the game. Um, for instance, and and with the condensed fixture, you give a bit more um, downtime in a match for the players. But but primarily, it was a, it was a commercial you know, decision. Um, Twenty six rounds. Uh, doesn't work for broadcasters if there's a lot of dead games. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I suspect it does. I, I think more content rather than less works for them. 
Um, and you know, if we've got particularly if we've got a, some some give in the in the schedule that we don't do we have to be locked in. I would add the possibility of some sort of rolling fixture, certainly yep. in the back half, and you re-fixture it so that you maximise the, the marquee slots with putting the games that matter. Um, so um, I think the, the, the three-hour package works well, you know, from a broadcast perspective. That's nice and neat. They can get out and get to regular programming or to the post-match shows and things on the, on the half hour or on the hour. I think that works nicely for them. Um, yeah, I, I think um, right. The, the, some of the introduction, some of the, the, the changes this year, like the longer breaks at quarter time and half time, they are actually not going to be enjoyed by the fans when they return next year. Mm-hmm. Now we may not have full stadiums. We're, we're granted that's that's unlikely. We might only have even fifty percent capacity. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a yawn if you're actually at the game and people are. You know, while you're at home, it might work because you. You can go make a cup or whatever it is. If you attend, you've got too much downtime. Yeah. Particularly, you, you hear people yelling at the umpire because you can hear it, it with with a couple of thousand at a game at the moment. You can hear fans yelling out, "Just bounce the bloody thing!" You know, and, and we've got 15 <laughs> seconds to go, and no one can understand why yeah. we're all sitting around. So there's a bit of. I, I don't think it works for those who attend the games in the flesh. Uh, so. Uh, but I do like the I like the idea of uh, I don't think we have to go back to twenty two matches. What we had, uh, I think we're, we're we're right to leave some of some of the traditions behind, as long as we. My view is that the game remains largely what it what it was. That's right. I think this doesn't change. It actually makes it more equal. That's the whole yep. premise of it. Like you, the fixture guys are having a nightmare. This weighted fixture. If you finish bottom six. You, you play these teams as your five double ups. If you finish top six, you play these five mm. teams. It's just, it's just tough, and this makes it near on impossible. Whereas if you did it this way, where you play every team three times over two years, mm. you don't have to. Well, you know exactly what your fixture is going to be. You know your double up. Your, your two and two games are going to be against like Perth versus, uh, sorry, West Coast versus Frio, Adelaide mm. versus Port, us versus Essendon or Carlton or Melbourne or whoever the AFL chooses as part of that Victorian double up. Mm. It's easy. And the other part, I mean, I know ground availability is tough during the start of cricket season, the start of March, because the season would probably have to start first weekend of March in this format. You could, if you kept quarter lengths, not 16 minutes, because that is pretty short, although I do like it. And I think most people mm. in the AFL, like Clubland, do like it. If you extended a bit more, but kept it still shorter than the 20, you could look at things like your yeah, footy frenzies in school mm. holidays mm. that keep the, the season length from weeks perspective the same mm. so you have two footy frenzies in school holidays then you can start mid mid to late march still play your 26 rounds and still be done by the last saturday in september, september. yeah so yeah. there's there's options there it's just we had 22 rounds because we had 12 teams play each other twice yep. that is so far gone yeah the, the, clearly the best way is to play 18 round season yeah again you have your double up rivalry round plus play each other once then you get nine home nine away games but that's not going to happen because of money so this is the next best option you're not going to play what is it 34 round season because the guys will die yeah it's just it's that's too demanding so this is not a bad little happy medium really to make a equitable situation in something that's never ever going to be equitable unless we play each other once all right there's my rant we'll we'll have it You'll hear, by the end of the podcast, you may hear it being sent off to the office of one uh, G. McLaughlin for, for his consideration.
Um, Marcus, we've we've had a, I've got a, a an update um, for our sign for our crabbers. Crab watch. Our, our friends uh, Levi Greenwood and Lyndon Dunn. We've gone. Now we've got to get this done, Riles. The penguins are going off at Phillip Island. Live live feed of penguins. We've got to get a live feed of crabs. Of crabs, our, our crabbers. Of, Your digital um, team can whip that up, sure. <laughs> well, this is, um, uh, listeners, we, I think we talked last week about the, the uh, Thai crab curry that those, uh, our crabbers, were uh, ate last week after catching a, a blue swimmer, a couple, couple of blue swimmer crabs and some mud crabs in their, in their nets. This week there was a breakout. Um, you've you've heard of, of the Great Escape and uh, you know um, prisoner of war escapes you know from from um, prisoner of war camps and things. The crabs broke out. Dunny and uh, and Levi had a, had the crabs. Um, keeping them fresh in water in a in whatever it was, and somehow they cut their way out, and they're on the loose. Vicious so crabs. For a number of week, number of nights this week, we've had. Lyndon and Levi foraging through the the grounds of the of the, res, the place that we're living in, hands and knees, wandering around with tor- the, the, their phone torches, going trying to find the crabs, which they uh, haven't found them all. Now that's unnerved quite a few people who now uh, believe that uh, there's crabs <laughs> wandering around the resort. <laughs> And, Just uh, added to the list, roll. So we're now, now we've got snakes, snakes coming at us. We've got yeah. bush turkeys. Yep. And now we've got crabs. They're all, it's all happening. Pythons, lizards. Yeah. The lizards are aggressive runners. There was one on the path in front of me, a real aggressive runner, real wide kind of <laughs> gait, arcs up its neck and just takes off again. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Dangerous lizards. They're probably the, the most aggressive. The snakes are actually quite friendly. If you're, if you're that way inclined, yeah, yeah. crabs get a bit nippy at times. Well, it, that's exactly right. But when when I saw them, when I ran across them, they had found one, and it was a decent size one. We were talking about, you know, you know the width of two hands. So it was a big crab. The body of it was big, and uh, but it had lost one of its big claws, so they didn't feel it was quite as dangerous as it might have been. But they'd done. He had he picked it. He found it in the bush. And someone had reported a crab running across the car park, so they were out there running around trying to find that one. That was our um, comic highlight of the week. We're getting a few of them. Yeah, yeah, there's been a bit going on. Um, Disco's, we mentioned Disco's birthday was uh, property steward, long-time property steward. Had his 60th up here. Um, Unfortunately, he's not here with his family. So he celebrated it with his Collingwood family. And uh, man, a few words, Disco. But um, there was a lot said about him. I really, well, the, my highlight of that, and it comes back to our our friend who we have had a ceasefire with, uh, one our fearless leader, GM of football, Jeffrey Walsh, um, who, mind you, was as well she does. If you have a crack back, he usually he, t- he tips the hat to you. So he, he did tip the hat to us for for not rolling over last week, but now we've got a nice ceasefire. But Rowan Bounds, our head trainer, was presenting to Disco his little little spiel in front of the group and. Said he's just ticked over to 60, and then he pointed Disco towards uh, Walshie and said, Walshie will be able to point you out on how to how to fill out your uh, senior citizen's card form, which uh, got a rousing reception from the group. <laughs> so um, just, just a little tap on the back there for uh, Roe for yeah. having a dip at the 
at the boss. Drive by. Drive by clip at Like the, that. Yes. Like yeah, that. We do, we do. Um, we should acknowledge um, uh, uh, this, this week being uh, the week or the round or the match uh, that in which Scott Pendlebury is going to break two club records, uh, which have stood for, for a long time. He becomes the... Uh, he claims the games record from Tony Shaw, who held it for a long time with 313 games. Pendles will play his 314th on Monday night. He also breaks Nathan Buckley's captaincy record. He will captain the club for the 162nd time. Um, Wags, I, I mean, there was enough said about it. Pendles is sick of talking about himself, and this week he's been asked by just about everyone in the country to say something about what it means to him and and whatnot. But we should we should acknowledge it in some way and uh, I want you to give me a word that you thinks you think uh, characterizes him on the spot on the spot One word. I mean, well I'm, I'm prepared to I, I, I've got um, oh, he, he's one of the best players I've ever seen and I've had the, had the privilege to watch him up close so I spent, you know but to see the level of influence he still has and has had for for a long, long time, virtually his entire career. Um, and, um, and some will know that he has finished 11 times top three in the best and fairest, which gives you an indication of of how uh, he's a model of sustained excellence that uh, I haven't seen before. I've seen a lot of great players, but you know their peaks are, say, four to five years. They'll take three years to get there to their peak, have three or four years, and then sort of start the slow decline. And he, he is almost... He's gone from, I think, first year was choice six. He had glandular fever to start that year. Uh, came into the side halfway through after a handful of VFL games, which he needed just to get some fitness back. Hasn't been out of the team since. Um, and by 207 was a star. Yep. Um, played every game and has been at the top of the Collingwood tree ever since, which I just find incredible. Uh, and then there's so there's that element to him which you could perhaps encapsulate with a word. And then there's the the, the way he plays. Not you know, the durability is one thing, and I think the relentlessness to back up all the time. But then you get to the the way he plays, and and that's where I'd, my word would be would be elegant. Yeah, well that's definitely how he plays. I think knowing Scotty the whole time, my whole thirteen years I've been at the club. Can I hyphenate one? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I, I just think I just think growth, like like perpetual growth, mm. or the perpetual search for greatness. Mm. I he, he I've never seen a guy kind of ask so many questions, be so curious about the industry, about his kind of his professionalism, just trying to find the best out of himself all the time. And there's no surprise. Like, the more the longer you're in footy, there's absolutely no surprises. Mm. In footy, those who who do what Scotty does are successful. I mean, you got to have some kind of natural ability, but at the same time, he does everything right. But the growth not only comes from his football, it comes from him as a person. I've seen him grow as a leader, as a young leader at the club, to now growing as a dad. Um, even yesterday, uh, I think it was just the two of us down the pool with the kids, and my young fella Harvey jumped in, and keeping it really down to where half's pretty. Um, Honest bloke, he's like, goes. Oh, I go half. Who's that? He goes, oh, no idea. 
Yeah. Oh, that's, that's Pendles. I go, what number's Pendles? He goes, no idea. So just keep, keep, me, <laughs> keep me real. If it's not if it's not Geordie to go or Brody Grundy, he doesn't really care. So just keeping it real for Scotty. Um, but Scotty just having a 10, 15 minute conversation with Harv in the in the spa. But that's the thing. He's just just seeing him as a dad's just fantastic. Mm. And what he what he learns from being a dad, he brings back to the club as and just yeah, how his leadership's grown over the years and. Mm. And then how he's made other players better, not just himself. I know early days it was about getting the most out of himself, but now it's about getting the most out of himself. Plus, he's how he can best bring his teammates into the game, how he can celebrate their strengths, and and now it's all about team success for him, no doubt, because he knows that drives him personally. So, I mean, I love players who ask a lot of questions um, mm-hmm. and seek knowledge and seek understanding of of what life's about, what the game's about, and he's. He's the best at that, and and lucky enough, as I said, we've been been at the club for a long time together, and we're still mm. kind of asking each other questions about how the game should be played, and how how parenting's going, and yeah. and how uni's going, and how footy departments operate, and all this thing. He's just you can see he's just he's just a well kind of rounded individual, and he's he's already kind of looking onward and upward, and he's playing some really good footy, but. He's ready to go as soon as footy ends to mm-hmm. go on to what's next in his life. So mm-hmm. he's very rounded, um, very complete, but you can be complete but still search for, for better. And he's that's why I've got perpetual growth growth of of just that's that's the only thing I can think of being because yeah. it's 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 uh, the other thing I think defines him is his ability to march on from from anything. He he doesn't he doesn't dwell. No. He he and which which uh, uh, I talked to Alex, his, his wife, Alex's wife, earlier in the week, and, and she sort of shared the view that he's like it off the field as well. He, he, anything he can't control anymore, he can't have an effect on, or he can't change, it doesn't concern him yeah. in that, you know, he might regret it momentarily, but he just moves on. And so he, if, if something goes wrong, how do I fix it? How, what, what, how do I not repeat that? Or that's, that's his response rather than getting glum about something. Yeah. He doesn't dwell on, on failure. He moves on. And I've seen him come in after finals, you know, which are the games that he, he, he will tell you that are the most important to him. And he loses a final. He's not devastated in the way. He's not crying in the corner. He's, he's already asking questions about, we need this for next year. We've got to do this to get better. Yeah. Well, I reckon we should be doing this. That, that to me, I love the, yeah. the relentlessness of that. He just will not be broken by defeat or failure. He, he just uses it as an opportunity to find something else. And the edge, the edge is still there. I mean, we have, yeah. we have good, good conversations on the bench every week and we had a bit of an edgy one last week because he wasn't happy with one of the rotations we called from the bench. And it, it, you know, to be fair, it almost cost us a goal. Luckily, yep. uh, I think you'll remember the Jack Crisp um, yep. running back and saving the day. That's... Yep. Uh, yeah, it was a bit bit of a awkward times rotation there, which left the wing free, which um, Scotty and under no um, didn't take a backward step in giving me some strong feedback, and I said I just go back to him. I said I knew Crispy was there. Happy days, moving <laughs> <laughs> straight on. So, um, but the, the edge is there. The edge is there. He's yeah. he does it in the right way, but the, the fire's burning. And clearly, that's why this year presents a massive opportunity for him. Mm. But he, he isn't slowing down. Well, he's never. He can't slow down from not very fast. From first as we year. know, Scotty is. Uh, he's not blessed with speed. No. <laughs> so that's probably what's going to keep him going for a long time. Because he's uh, as long as his mind's going and he's uh, he's got the agility and and the, the matrix type approach that everyone says around the footy, he he can play forever. As um, long as he can sell a dummy, yep. he'll be fine. Yeah. So um, 
to see if you can kick some majors one of these days. That would be nice. Just mm. get back on kicking sausages because that's what everyone wants. Well, one of the few things he hasn't he hasn't achieved is the is the the, um, the title of premiership captain, mm. and I think that's very much you know, that's the one thing that he wants to take away with him as uh, you know have on the CV. He's won one as a player and won an Orm Smith medal, so he, he and it's won that many Anzac Day medals. He plays well in big games, but that for him now it's about being a premiership captain. So let's get it done, S. Yes. Now, Marcus, we might. Um, finish up shortly, but before we do, we've got, I've got a book review of the week. Yes! Sports book review of the week. Riley back on deck. I love it because this is just, uh, this is like poetry in motion. This well, is this is targeted. I hope hope the age boys uh, rally around your book review roles. They've got to actually get it published, I reckon. They've got to get the transcript from this. This goes to Gleese and Ryan. Now, yeah, I'm going to end up with performance anxiety if, I, if you keep talking. I'll, no, I'll, I'll, I'll falter. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. All right. This week, um, it, uh, and you'll have to excuse me, listeners, this is my second... Um, Not surfing. Surfing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right, I'm but leaving. again... I'm leaving. There's footsteps leaving the room. Um, it, it's... it's uh, And it's a very different one to Barbarian Days, which is the book, surfing book that I reviewed probably a month or so ago. Um, this one is called... All for a few perfect waves, uh, and uh, the audacious life and legend of rebel surfer Mickey Dora. Uh, it was published in two thousand and eight by Harper Collins, and the biographer was a fellow by the name of David Renson. And the reason I chose this book is because um, it, the, the 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 thing that left that I, I was left with, apart from you know, this guy, we're talking Mickey Dora. We're talking about a surfer who. An iconic surfer of the 50s and 60s, so we're going way, way back, a long, long time. Uh, and uh, Mickey Dora died in 2002 of pancreatic cancer at the age of 67. So why is any of this relevant? Well, this guy, he was a he was a godlike figure in a, in a simple time in, in in American life and and sur- and, and sort of the the the, uh, the history of surfing, 50s and 60s dominated a, a break called Malibu, which was since become incredibly popular and and sort of lost its its it's uh, cool, but he was the man of Malibu in that time, and and he was he had a very graceful feline quality to his surfing, which led people to call him Da Cat, and so not the cat, Duh. you were Mickey Da Cat Dora, and he so in one way it was a guy who he's a surfer, iconic surfer, um, but he he very complex figure and this book really explores um, the personality and the life of someone who decides to dedicate themselves to surfing that's basically he spends the rest of his years all of his life chasing waves that's a hard thing to do if you think about it the things you sacrifice to to pursue an obsession like that never never marries never has kids Leaves a very uh, you, you've got a certain personality type can dedicate themselves in that way, so it's fair to say that um, he was a very complicated man. Um, he was a a rebel. He's an enigmatic rebel. Uh, he was described by some as the dark prince of the beach because uh, over his decades he was uh, often hunted down or chased by the FBI. Bit of a swindler, scammer. Mm. This sounds like. Uh... 
bit of point break about this. Well, Patrick Swayze. Th- there is a bit of that that sort of that that um, old world view of surfers as rebels and and countercultural sort of figures. Um, he, he is he is the archetype for that 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 figure. He this is where a lot of that comes from. Mm. Now there've been a lot of crazy, you know, and and fascinating people in surfing because back in its, you know, its early days, it was a home for rebels and, as I said, countercultural figures, people who found who were comfortable living outside the boundaries of normal life, you know, that, and and they felt comfortable there. They didn't where they didn't feel comfortable anywhere else. Dora never had a job. He never marries. Never has children. He just roams the world. Um. There's a lot of people don't like him because he's a scammer and he was a guy who was very hard to get to know. Um, but I think if you can appreciate the dedication that went into this life of just surfing and being obsessed by it, and but also, and he, he loved it on one level because he made his name as a surfer. It was gave him so much joy. He was good at it, um, but he was also... Um, Someone, he, he loved it, but he railed against it when it started to become a mainstream pastime or fad in America in particular. And then, of course, now it's a contest-driven sport and, and, and considered a sport, whereas back in his day, it was, it was a lifestyle. It was, you, you, there was no professional surfing. There was, it was a lifestyle you lived and you were, you were out on the fringes. And it was a bit of a lawless sort of world there. And so you can imagine people who prospered and, and thrived on that were a certain, certain type of people. Mm. Um, and he fitted right in. Um, so he, he sort of loves it, but he hates it, increasingly hates it, but he can't leave it behind. And uh, he spends his life traveling around the world um, he spent a lot of time in the Basque country, which is in the southwest of France. Um, beautiful surfing country over there. He spends up a lot of time in Jeffreys Bay in South Africa. Um, generally on the couch at someone's home. Uh, didn't have a lot of money. Um, but he, he, he becomes to, he, he identifies for, for a generation, in fact generations of people, of surfers in particular, in that part of the world, America, the west coast of America. Um, he, his story became, uh, you know, he becomes this icon uh, to the extent that um, 50 years after his heyday, when he's sort of just died, maybe he had just prior to his death in early 2002, you could still go to Malibu and spray painted on the wall there is Dora Rules. Are we talking, it'd be like someone spray painting Matthews rules about Lee Matthews, you know, who played in six, started in '68 or whatever it was, you know, and still and still having this huge influence on an on an environment on a place. Um, so it's um, it's not a straightforward book. It's not um, some people will read it and think, what a dropout, what you know, what a loser. How would you waste? Why would you waste your life like that? Others, I think, will admire him and go, well, you've got to be something special to be able to have that that determination to live your life at any cost to chase a wave. Um, and I'll leave you with, um, well, a couple of anecdotes. Um, this, he, on his deathbed, he, he signed, he, he, he gives his power of attorney to his father, um, Miklos Senior, uh, and a fellow by the name of Harry Hodge. Uh, and in, 
he writes a couple of paragraphs and he, the, 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 the most powerful line in it is, I, I ask you to protect and non-commercialize my life in any matter. In other words, I don't want anyone to make a buck out of me. I hate the man. I, I, I hated the commercialization of surfing. So he didn't, even in death, he didn't want to be a part of um, somehow being part of the industry. Yeah. Uh, and then um, his his entry in um, in the the Encyclopedia of Surfing, I think it's beautiful. Beautifully sums him up. Says he was Dora was bebopping to a complex rhythm no other surfer ever heard. And so that that's the the story of all for a few perfect waves, uh, the audacious life and legend of rebel surfer Mickey Dora. Um, if you like complex, interesting characters, it's certainly a book for you with a, with a hint of hint of uh, nostalgia for a time that's gone, um, and uh, it, it will appeal to you. If you like surfing, it will appeal to you. Um, if you like a book that explores obsession, dedication to something, you'll probably like it. Others, as I said to you, Marcus, might think, "What a waste of paper!" Because <laughs> the guy the guy left behind nothing, you know, other than a, a mythical reputation. So for some, you're saying it would be a, a biography, a great story. For you, it's a bit more of a, a self-help guide, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> the fact that I could never, I, I had none of his obsession or dedication or his ability. Um, no, but but it, it, I just find interesting people, you know, in sport, and we come across them all the time. You know, they're, they're, it, it, it's a rich palette. You know, the, what, what we're just talking about Scott Pendlebury. Um, you know, a totally different sort of figure, but fascinating in some ways because of what what he's been able to turn the, his gifts, professionalism, his preparedness, his his forethought. Um, he's he's a student of the game. He, he he's got a whole other range of qualities which he's been able to turn into a great career, and and, and a career that is about to place him in in the history books, mm -hmm. but also probably will mean in 50 years he will be remembered in a way, you know, for, for what he did. Um, very few are, you know, even great, great players beyond their time uh, and your children and, and mine have, you know, that they grew up, well, certainly mine grew up wondering who, well, they, I don't know who Lee Matthews or even Wayne Carey is, you know, and they think he's the bloke who commentates on, on the television. They don't think of him as a five-time premiership player. Uh, your kids are going to grow up even thinking, they may not even know who Patrick Dangerfield is by the time he's done. You know? I, have to, I still have to upskill Harvey on who Scotty is. <laughs> he's that flat up the, the pool incident yesterday, so I might have to give Harvey a bit of uh, upskilling here. Just got to keep it real for him. Yes. No, I don't think, uh, I don't think worries Pendles at all. The people don't, uh, the kids in the pool don't, don't know who he is. But anyway, um, we shall leave it there. Um, uh, listeners, let's hope that we're talking um, uh, in episode 12 of Inside Swoop about our imminent finals campaign. Um, we'll definitely be talking about our finals campaign. It's, we will. It's be who, where and when yes. to be determined. But hopefully, uh, if, we, if we knock Port off, um, we'll be a home final at the Gabba against the Saints. If we lose, yeah, fates will we'll know by Monday night what, what that'll mean, but... Yep. A few, few more results to play out yet, but uh, could mean a trip to the West, which, as I said, it's always good fun playing at Optus. So yep. Yep. take what's in front of us. Yep. Yeah, well, we've done. We've had some good results there in the last couple of years and yep. uh, not so good result earlier this year, but but um, 
I think we are into very will be a very different team if we if we end up going to Perth. Will be a very different proposition than we were then, yeah. and um, and I think equally the double A. Yeah, a lot to play out, S, but look forward to it. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, listeners. Uh, talk to you next week.